Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, January 3rd, 2011. It's going to take me a little bit of time to get used to saying that. 2011. I can just see it now. I'm going to be saying, it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. And it's 2010 and beyond. You know how it takes it takes me about two or three weeks, you know, when you're writing checks to type in the the new year. The older I get, the longer it takes to creeping decrepitude. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roserow. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying. In the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things. And with 2011, uh, well, 2011 now upon us, yeah, it's a fresh start to heresy. And boy, I could just, yeah, yeah. I just, I love the smell of heresy in the afternoon. It's just, <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, got a lot of going on on deck here. You know, we are, the uh, Christmas season is rapidly drawing to a close. You know, by the way, there's 12 days of Christmas. And uh, on the eighth day of Christmas this year, my true love gave me a puppy. Absolutely true. If you follow me on uh, Facebook, uh, then you've seen uh, pictures of my brand-new nine-week-old puppy who is a uh, mixture between a uh, Labrador retriever and a uh, German shepherd. I've named him Luther. And boy, is he cute. Man, ridiculously smart dog, very affectionate. It's like kind of like the best of both breeds. I mean, he has the good, even temperament of a lab and the smarts of a German Shepherd. And boy, what a great dog. Anyway, had him in the studio earlier today. And uh, it just it was fun doing my program prep with a puppy in the, in the studio. And it, this guy's just just cute. I just the only way I can put it. He's just cute. And uh, and so I, I'm very very thankful that my wife uh, allowed us to have another dog because after the death, uh, of, you know, of our other dog during the summer, uh, this, that was Cookie. She was also a uh, she was a lab shepherd mix. Great 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 dog, and it was very sad uh, to have her go. And so I I thought for sure that uh, you know I'd probably n- never have a you know another dog like that. And for whatever reason, on the eighth day of Christmas, my wife was in the giving mood and felt like giving me a puppy, and so I'm very, very excited with our new friend and our, well, you can say family member, I guess, is, you know, we've adopted him, so 
Anyway, so <clears throat> if you want to see pictures of Luther, yeah, you, 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 you gotta ask to be my friend on Facebook, and you know he's right there in my photo album. So <sighs> now let's let's talk about what we're gonna talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. But before I do that, I think it's important to play uh, the Fighting for the Faith warning that I promised that we would play from time to time. Uh, Warning. Fighting for the Faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouthitosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. I have a couple of more versions of that that Melba has sent me, and I'll have to play those in the days ahead. Oh, man. Frustrative, frustrative disbelief brain explosion syndrome or something. <laughs> yeah, I think I was suffering from that last week during, uh, well, part of uh, our sermon reviews. Anyway, uh, you know, there's so many things that I could be talking about today. This is one of those programs where, you know, listen, I'm just, there's just no way I'm going to get to all of this stuff. It's just not going to happen. Today is a, well, to, to think of today as part one of potentially a two to three part series here at Fighting for the Faith on just the, the news stories that I want to talk about. And, um, Ah, yes, it's, uh, you know, so uh, what I want to do here, um, let's see, let me grab my web browser and, uh, uh, yeah, let's see, the the Rick Warren thing, definitely not today, have to talk about that tomorrow. Uh, Yeah, I'm making some last second editorial uh, decisions here. You know, if you you remember listening to Rush Limbaugh, I, I haven't listened to him in a while, but he would always, you know... You know, talk about his stack of stuff. You know, my stack is digital, and so you know, it's it's one of those things where uh, you know, if I want to talk about what I want to talk about, I have to first open up my web browser and uh, make decisions accordingly. But anyway, um, so on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, I I want to talk real quick. I got a, a just a, sni- a, a quick snippet that I uh, wrote for my Letter of Mark blog. Um, and it's kind of like, for lack of a better way of putting it, it's one of my first efforts uh, at uh, starting to crack open this uh, this uh, issue of dubious discernment in the um, well, in discernmentville is probably you know I, a friend of mine and I were corresponding via email over the weekend, and uh, and he he re- he referred to it as discernmentville. I think that was kind of a play on the fact that uh, I've confessed to. Well, you know, joining the Farmville cult, and uh, you know, it was sad. The other day, I was uh, maintaining my farm there in Farmville, and uh, and I realized, yeah, well, it might be time because I don't have that much time to, you know, to begin taking down the Christmas decorations off of my farm in Farmville. So I I had to put away <laughs> put away my digital farm. Christmas decorations, and I, I think my farm still has snow in it, but I don't think I have, well, I still have a Christmas tree and a, and a couple of uh, ornament trees that are there in my farm in Farmville, but 
yeah, you know, so, you know, because we're not quite through the uh, Christmas season, but I, I spent some time de-decorating my farm in Farmville. But anyway, so uh, Discernmentville, it, and uh, and so one of the things I, you know, that uh, I wanted to talk about is uh, this is kind of taking it, you know, taking a, if you would, a shot at um, maybe a, a cannon shot into the rigging of uh, some in discernmentville that um that have well not exactly the 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 most correct biblical doctrine of separation that which causes them to do some silly things and so i i want to uh talk about that today um i've got oh, let's see uh, we could do this al Mohler piece that uh that i'm looking at here you know there's uh, and then I, I want to talk about bill johnson i've got a bill johnson soundbite in the parable, not a soundbite, but a segment from a sermon that he did on the parable of the sower and the seeds. And uh, who, Nelly? Yeah, um, yeah, there'd be some problems there. Uh, um, that's just putting it kindly. Is yeah. So I want to talk about that. I've got a, an article from the, uh, it's a Christian leadership uh, 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 journal put out by Christianity Today. And um, by guy by the name of Brandon O'Brien, Brandon O'Brien. I'm I'm assuming he's a good Irishman, but uh, Brandon O'Brien has uh, a, an article he's written called "An Unspoiled View." Uh, the subtitle is "Following Jesus Means Learning to See Truth Behind the Appearances." Now I'm not going to read the entire article. I, I want to um, uh, share with you. Uh, a biographical section from that article, and uh, you know, if you want to read it yourself, uh, then you need to go to Christianity dot com and uh, look up their leadership journal and uh, look for the article by Brandon O'Brien entitled "An Unspoiled View." And so, you know, we've got lots of stuff that we want to talk about today. And then I've got another. Well, it's just not the best Christmas sermon that I want to share with you. Uh, that again misses kind of the whole point of. <clears throat> the uh, the whole Christmas holidays, and it's uh, from Pastor Scott Turner of the Summit Church in Irvine, California. And uh, the name of the sermon is God's Christmas Gift to You. I mean, with a name like that, with, with, na- with a, na- a sermon named God's Christmas Gift to You, you'd think, you would think that what we were going to be getting is, well, a full-blown sermon talking about the gift that we have in a, a, of a Savior in Jesus Christ. And... Um, well, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, Scott Turner in the sermon decides that he's going to talk about the gift within the gift uh, rather than talking about the gift itself. Not sure exactly what that means, but that's the metaphor that he uses, the gift within the gift. And so as a result of it, we kind of miss the whole gift part, and um, and I question his the gift within the gift, the thing that he—anyway, you get what I'm saying. So we got lots of ground to cover today. And uh, and so uh, with that, I think we should uh, dive into the program proper. And even though it seems gratuitous, I'm going to play the vintage news music for the <clears throat> blog post that I wrote from the Letter of Mark blog, which I write. Letterofmark.us is the uh, website address. The, um, the headline reads, some thoughts regarding the discipline of discernment, and uh, the occasion for this is uh, is a conversation I had recently with uh, a discernment blogger, uh, with whom I well the conversation uh, turned well, it, it turned it well it was argumentative at times is probably the best way of of saying it, and uh, had a hard time reaching this discernment blogger with um, a, a, an opposite point of view that 
this person would listen to. But uh, anyway, so uh, <clears throat> author Chris Roseborough, some thoughts regarding the discipline of discernment. And so I, I constructed this over the weekend as I was reflecting on that conversation. And here's what I wrote. I said, accurate and ethical discernment work is oftentimes as difficult as good investigative journalism. Yeah, this this I think this is absolutely true. Now, in our cut-and-paste soundbite news culture, this fact has been lost. True discernment is not as easy as copying a juicy, out-of-context quote or soundbite and then pasting it onto your blog so that you can then editorialize about the quote in order to anathematize a person and then throw them under the Christian bus. Yeah, no, a, a real discernment work is, is actually very labor-intensive. In order to do it properly, you must get to know and check sources. It requires you to contextualize questionable material and to put out-of-context quotes back into their proper context. It requires a lot of reading, as well as spending many hours on the phone and or writing email correspondence. And, and without these basic disciplines... You wouldn't be able to discern the difference between Brian McLaren and Albert Muller. Now, in case you think I'm speaking hyperbole here, um, I say this because during a recent phone conversation slash argument that I had with one discernment blogger, I was strongly warned by this person that Dr. Albert Muller could no longer be trusted and that he was theologically compromised because he had recently delivered a lecture at a conference where Rick Warren had also spoken. Now, anyone with even basic reasoning skills would know that you cannot accurately assess Dr. Albert Muller's theology uh, by simply looking at who shares the dais with him at a conference. Instead, accurately assessing Muller's theology requires a person to actually do some work, you know, reading and examining the actual content of his theological writings and lectures, but simply calling Dr. Muller's character and theology into question via a guilt-by-association argument is, well, it's flat-out lazy and just wrong-headed. Furthermore, this is the kind of the zinger in this, uh, in this blog post, furthermore, anybody who claims, that, claims to be a discernment minister who is so obtuse that they, they would write off Dr. Albert Muller as theologically compromised simply because he spoke at the same conference as Rick Warren may want to consider another line of work, uh, well, because it's highly doubtful that their spiritual gifting is, well, discernment. Yeah, and so, you know, I posted that today, and uh, this is kind of the, uh, yeah, this is the, you know, the, the first pitch, if you would, on uh, what will probably turn into an ongoing series where I address issues of dubious discernment uh, in the hopes that uh, those who uh, may be engaging in dubious discernment would, well, reconsider their uh, approaches and, and uh, well, try a, try something different and you know, maybe not do discernment work at all. I mean, no, seriously, if, I mean, if you're running a discernment blog and you think Albert Muller is theologically compromised... Um, yeah, I just don't know where to go from there. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of at a loss as to how to help you. Um, so anyway, um, it, funny enough, you know, no sooner had I posted it that, uh, that uh, well, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley swam across the digital pond um, and actually wrote a very insightful comment uh, on this particular blog post. And here's what Pastor Charmley wrote. He says, 
Dr. Mueller and Warren are, I believe, both Southern Baptists. Yes, Pastor Charmley, you're right. They are both Southern Baptists. This, therefore, strikes me as very similar to a situation in the early 20th century. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was then a young minister with the Welsh Calvinistic Methodists or Presbyterians. In 1927, he spoke at a denominational conference at which another speaker was the Reverend Tom Neffin Williams, who was heretical and denied the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, etc. Was this a single case? Well, no. The following year, Lloyd-Jones spoke at two conferences in which Neffin was also a featured speaker, one of which was an interdenominational event. Now, on the standards that this discernment person had apparently adopted, we should avoid uh, Lloyd-Jones's writings because he spoke at the same conference as a heretic, a heretic who was, in fact, given the boot for his heresy. Oh, if only we did that nowadays. The trouble is that some folks have a standard of separation that came about in the 20th century in the fundamentalist movement and is, in fact, not biblical. So, you know, Pastor Charmley has ch- chimed in. Good, great point, Pastor Charmley. And, uh, you know, you're right. And, um, you know, funny enough, I asked a Pastor Charmley a follow-up question. And my follow-up question to Pastor Charmley was this. As, as I asked him if, uh, if Lloyd-Jones had used the occasion of his conference speeches to actually take to task uh, or refute or warn the people in the audience of Neffin's heresy, and uh, and Pastor Charmley, uh, you know, quickly wrote back and 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 said that he that uh, Lloyd Jones had in fact used the the, uh, the occasion of his conference speeches to openly criticize uh, Neffin's heresies, and uh, and so you know I I I gotta say this though, and that is is that it sure would be nice if um we had some leaders similar to. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones today, who, even when speaking at an interdenominational event or sharing the dais with somebody who is theologically heretical or uh, seriously compromised, would use the occasion to, um, well, open up a broadside, if you would. But, uh, you know, in today's politically correct climate, I I wonder if something like that would ever happen. But anyway, so, uh, Pastor Charmley, thank you for uh, chiming in. I thought your comments were, were, were... well, they're all right on the money. And the idea here is is that, listen, guilt by association really doesn't prove anything. I mean, using this type of logic, I would have to say that if you believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4, well, then you have to be a heretic. And the reason why is because, well, as it turns out, Brian McLaren actually believes that 2 plus 2 equals 4. And so if you believe the same thing that he believes, then, well, then, well, then you're a heretic. And this actually prompted me to, you know, to send out a tweet today because uh, there was uh, some actually pretty good uh, conversation on my Facebook wall regarding this post. And, uh, and, and I made the, basically made the comment that in light of this, here's the idea is that heresy is not an airborne disease that you contract via casual contact uh, with a heretic. In, in other words, you can't catch heresy just by simply breathing the same air as a heretic. You know, um, 
you, you need more intimate contact for it, you know, for that to happen. And what I mean by that is, is that you have to pretty much willingly sit under the teaching of a heretic and uh, and begin to believe uh, what he's teaching you is biblical. You, you, see, you understand what I'm saying? So, yeah, heresy is not something that you catch just by being in the same room as as somebody who happens to be a heretic. It, it just doesn't work that way. And so, I mean, you know, to kind of put it in radio drama mode, I mean, let, let me give you an example of this. Let's see if I can pull this off successfully here. At 9.27 p.m. on October 3rd, Dr. Albert Muller was actually seen in the same room as Rick Warren. Therefore, we can conclude that that Albert Muller is, in fact, a heretic. Yeah, no, see, no, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, no. We don't have to have Dr. Albert Muller theologically quarantined, um, you know, to see if he tests positive for the emergent virus. You know, none of no, it that or the seeker-driven virus. It doesn't know it. That's not how it works. You know, and so um yeah, no, that's just wrong-headed. It's that's that's just ridiculous. And so, you know, um, if you know somebody who is a Christian who thinks along these lines, assure them that the way you test to see whether or not somebody is theologically compromised is, well, you look at what they believe, teach, and confess. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, you can't do it this way. On Thursday, November 5th, Rick Warren flew to Louisville, Kentucky, and Albert Muller was seen driving by the exact same hotel that Rick Warren was staying at. Therefore, we can conclude that Albert Muller is a heretic. <laughs> you, you, you understand what I'm saying? It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, it reminds me of the same logic that was applied to me by the uh, the KJV only folks who flamed my uh, email account. Uh, the one who claimed <laughs> the one that I picked out of the bunch that uh, said that I was a Jesuit because you know I fly the uh, Cairo uh, as part of the pirate Christian radio logo. Anyway, yeah, it's it's true that the um, <clears throat> that the Pope does um, you know Roman Catholicism does well you know use the Cairo and they have for well centuries and millennia. Um, but it's long before the ascension of current modern-day uh, Roman Catholicism. But to say that I'm a Jesuit or a closet papist just because the Cairo flag flies on the Pirate Christian Radio uh, website and is our logo, well, that doesn't make me a, a Jesuit. <laughs> you, you understand what I... It's the same thing. Yeah, so... <sighs> just one of those things, you know, let me... Yeah, it's so funny because, you know, I know a lot of you are sitting there going, yeah, this kind of seems sort of basic. The problem is, is I think there's some very well outspoken and well-meaning Christians um, who are falling into this, well, form of dubious discernment. So, I, you know, I just put that out there as a corrective. And, and uh, yeah, this is not how you decide somebody's a heretic. The way you decide is you look, you actually examine, you have to read, it takes some work, it... 
Yeah, in context, in context, very important stuff. All right, we are up on our first break. If you would like to uh, email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, pirate Christian. We'll be right back. ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. What are you saying? You out there! How am I supposed to experience the presence of God if you're using a jackhammer? Shut up! Don't feel sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry! Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of Scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no, there's no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of Scripture. Judas hung him, himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself? Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. 
Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide? What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death. What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture. Next, begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was, Judas hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like his. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time. I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something. If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. Just open the Bible and read it! Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, merely, well, breathing the same air as a heretic or being in the same room as that, well, that, yeah, that's not how you determine whether or not somebody's a heretic. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, your financial contributions, your partnership with us in order to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially. By visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com, when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you haven't joined our crew, this would be a great time for you to do so. Uh, why? Well, because uh, you know, we depend upon you to keep doing what we're doing, and as our audience grows and uh, as our licensing fees and our downloading fees and our server fees and all that kind of stuff continues to go up, well, then, you know, that means, well, we, we've, our finance has got to keep growing with it. So uh, if you don't already partner with us, please, please, please uh, do so. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or you can make your gift payable 
to Fighting for the Faith and then send that along to uh, fi- uh, Post Office Box, Fighting for the Faith, Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Now, did you know that today is uh, Martin Luther Excommunication Day? I, I did not know this um, you know, until I, you know, I was on the History Channel website today, uh, history.com. They have a section called This Day in History, and um, <clears throat> I'm a nerd. Anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I should probably go to a support group. You know, you could sit around in a group, you know, with other guys that like Star Trek and um, have been tempted by wearing a pocket protector. And, um, you know, and you can raise your hand and say, <clears throat> Hi, I'm Chris, and I'm a nerd. Hi, Chris. Hi. <laughs> We're nerds, too. Yay. Yeah, the problem is, is that uh, you, you, if there was a support group for nerds, the issue there is is that um, with alcoholics, at least they can count the number of days it's been since they've had a drink. Um, even if I were to join a nerd support group, you know, I don't know if there's any 12-step program. I don't even know if Celebrate Recovery could help you through to the point where you can say, you know, it's been – 486 days since I've been a nerd. I just can't see that happening. Anyway, today is Martin Luther Excommunication Day from the uh, history.com website from this from the this day in history section. On January 3rd, 1521, Pope Leo X issued the papal bull uh, uh, Decant uh, Romanum Pontificum. Uh yeah, I totally messed that up. For those of you who actually know Latin and cuz I don't. Um you did, don't even try to correct me because um, it's, it's it's a hopeless cause. So I just wanted you to know that. But anyway, uh, Pope Leo X, uh, anyway, he issued a papal bull uh, which uh, excommunicated Martin Luther from the Catholic Church. Uh, Martin Luther, the chief catalyst of the uh, of Protestantism. Yeah, I get a little comfort, uh, uncomfortable with Martin Luther being, uh, well, associated with a catalyst uh, website. But I'm bumped. Sorry. Anyway, um, he was a professor of biblical interpretation at the University of Wittenberg in Germany when he drew up his 95 theses condemning the Catholic Church for its corrupt practices of selling indulgences or the forgiveness of sins. He followed up the revolutionary work with equally controversial and groundbreaking theological works, as well as some fantastically funny and rather in-your-face woodcuts. Anyway, uh, the cartoons, if you would. And and if, and he was also known for his fiery words that set off religious reformers all across Europe. In January 1521, Pope Leo X excommunicated Martin Luther. Three months later, Luther was called to defend his beliefs before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V at the Diet of Worms, uh, where he was famously defiant for his refusal to recant his writings. The emperor declared him an outlaw and a heretic. Luther was protected by powerful German princes, however, by his uh, and by his death in 1546, uh, the course of Western civilization had been significantly altered. So he, there you go. Happy Martin Luther excommunication day. So just thought, y'all, <laughs> those of you who are Lutheran, you know, keep in mind we're always looking for a reason to celebrate. There you have it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why do I feel like I need help? Anyway, uh, <clears throat> Bill Johnson, who we've done two uh, segments on him already, he's going to end up becoming a regular feature. And I, I forget who it was that suggested that when I introduce Bill Johnson, that I use this music. But I think I think it's it's appropriate. 
So we'll aim this segment, the J files, for <clears throat> the Johnson files. And uh, in the Johnson files, um, just keep this in mind. The heresy is out there. I don't know if he's really concerned about the truth, but the heresy, it's out there. Yeah, this conjures up some very interesting memories. Kind of scary. You know, I I enjoyed that uh, particular program, The X-Files, although it kind of got really weird at the end there with the whole smoking man thing. Anyway, um, if you have your Bibles, flip on over to uh, Matthew chapter 13. I think we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. And uh, it's the parable of the sower, the po- parable of the sower. In fact, here's what I'm going to do. Um, you know, I happen to be somewhat familiar with this uh, passage of Scripture for this very reason, that uh, it was one of the foundational texts that I used um, when I was um, debating Doug Paget. Uh, and the reason why I use this particular text is because not only does Jesus give us the parable, he interprets it, okay? And so um, maybe before we get into the J-Files, um, because the heresy is out there, um, let, me, uh, let me read to you uh, from Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 18. I read, Jesus is speaking. These are red letters, by the way. By the way, uh, somebody had sent me an email. Notice that I'm off on a tangent before I even get started. Yeah, this is how my brain works. Apparently, I'm suffering from ADD and don't even know it. But um, somebody had sent me an email that I thought was truly insightful, and I apologize that I do not remember your name, and I don't have it your name in front of me. But great, great email. Uh, And the email basically talked about so-called red-letter Christians. You've all heard about the red-letter Christians uh, these are people who, for whatever reason, um, you know, they well, they affirm that the red letters, those are the t. That's well, that's that's biblical. The uh, the writings of the apostle Paul, yeah, not so much. And so they don't really like what Paul has written. So uh, the email I received from this listener correctly pointed out that red letter Christians are actually guilty of the heresy uh, heresy of the Marcionites. Uh, the Marcionite heresy, uh, if I'm remembering this correctly, uh, basically uh, Marcion, well, he, he had an exacto knife that he applied to the Scripture, and there were certain sections he agreed with and certain passages of Scripture. Well, he just wanted to chuck those things out, and well, he did. And uh, and so uh, when you hear about red-letter Christians, uh, f- for, from now on, moving forward, anytime, you know, understand that you're dealing with somebody who in one sense or another is guilty of the Marcionite heresy, and that's a heresy of basically selecting and picking and choosing uh, as actually being the Word of God those sections that, that, that resonate with your soul and then rejecting as biblical those that you don't like. Yeah, uh, that's the Marcionite heresy. So great email, by the way. I, I apologize that I cannot give you correct attribution. I must warn you, though, from this day forward, I'm stealing the argument and, t- and claiming it as my own. So uh, those of you who who may be offended by that, please keep in mind, I did warn you ahead of time. So <laughs> creativity, the art of hiding your source. Anyway, come back and coming back to Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the sower. Hear then the parable of the sower. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. You know, let me back this up just a smidge here. Um, let me see here. Um, do, 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 do. Here we go. You know, let's let's back it up. Let's hear the parable itself so then we can hear the interpretation of that Jesus gives in uh, verse 18. Uh, rewinding the tape. There you go. See, there. just rewind the tape. Here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. And he, Jesus, told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some feed fell along. Some seed fell along the path. The birds came and they devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. Uh, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. The other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, when the disciples heard this, um, um, they immediately said, Amen, way to go, Jesus. But, you know, they didn't get it. Um, so the disciples actually had to um, ask Jesus if he would interpret. So Jesus actually does give the interpretation. We go to verse 18. So hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for the, what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet he, well, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he, well, he immediately falls away. Now, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves to be unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and in another 60 and in another 30. So there you have it. So Jesus tells the parable in Matthew 13 and he interprets the parable in Matthew 13. And so just before we get into um, Bill Johnson's um, explanation of what the parable of the sower is all about. Just let me ask you this logical question. Who do you think probably has the greater um, potential of actually understanding what the parable of the sower is all about? Jesus Christ, well, who's the, you know, the author and originator of that particular parable, or Bill Johnson, somebody who, well, for lack of a better way of putting it, is, uh, well, a Bill Johnson come lately. You know, he's he's kind of new on the scene. So, I mean, if, if, if somebody's interpretation of the parable of the sower contradicts Jesus' explanation as to how it's to be properly understood, who would you go with? Would you go with Jesus or would you go with Bill Johnson? You know, just, I mean, maybe I should put it this way. Who do you think would be wiser to go with? Bill Johnson or with Jesus? Now, I ask these questions ahead of time because you're going to hear some, well, something you've never heard before. Uh, the chances of you ever hearing this take on this parable, um, would you, unless you're familiar with Bill Johnson, pretty much slim to none. Yeah. And so as you hear his explanation of what this parable supposedly means, considering the fact that what you're going to hear is so ridiculously brand new that no one ever been saying it, like from the time of Jesus all the way until now, 
do you think it's wise to go with that explanation of the so parable of the sower, or should you go with the explanation that Jesus gave? Because Jesus didn't just tell this parable; he actually explained what it meant. You know, see the word of God, you know, the, the preaching of the repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You know, that goes forth and goes on different soils. You, you understand what I'm saying? Anyway, so <clears throat> without any further ado, here is um, Bill Johnson's ex. Explanation, interpretation, I don't know what to call this, from the J-Files. <clears throat> the, the heresy is out there. Um, here's his explanation of the parable of the sower. Verse 18, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Well, it sounds good so far. You know why, because he's reading from the text. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. Uh, The key to this uh, parable is actually found in the word understand. And here he says, if you don't understand it, then that seed remains in the open and it becomes vulnerable. Birds of the air can come, which represents the demonic realm. They come and they can steal the seed. So far, so good. not, not, Not too bad. All right. So understanding then is kind of illustrated by soil being able to receive the word so that the seed is now out of plain sight. Are, are you following the analogy here? Um, yeah, I'm thinking you're kind of pushing the analogy just a little bit too far here. Um, you're working with me. You've got to work with me. All right. All right, working with you, trying, doing my best. The word understand here actually means... Um, an understanding that is gained through the five senses. Okay. <clears throat> the word understanding here supposedly means um, an understanding that comes through the five senses. Okay. Um, let me pull out my... I can't believe I didn't have my Greek with me. Hang on a second here. I've got to find my Greek. There it is. Okay, got to open this up. So anyone who hears the message of Beth Kingdom does not understand... Uh, uh, Soon Aintas. Okay, hang on a second here, looking this up in my B dag. Okay, uh, uh, Tsunami. All right, all right, okay, Tsunami. All right, let's see here. Um, uh, to have an intelligent grasp of something that changes one's thinking or practice or understanding or comprehension. Okay, um, let's see here. Shows understanding connection with his wealth from the uh, parable of the uh, rich young ruler. Got it. Um, yeah, no, um, hmm. Yeah, I'm not seeing that here in my Greek lexicon. Uh, brown, uh, B-Dag, uh, Brown Driver, Arg, uh, I forget the name of the G guy now. Anyway, um, hmm. Yeah, no, I'm not seeing that here in my Greek lexicon. It just says to have an intelligent grasp of something that challenges one's thinking or practice understand or to comprehend uh, uh, tsunami okay um so already we got a problem here i'm not sure which lexicon he's working with um maybe he's working with a different lexicon than the one i have you gotta you know say that's potential but uh, don't you think that the premier new testament uh greek lexicon if this was specifically about knowledge that was or understanding that was specifically gleaned via the five senses uh that, that they would have made a big deal about that part just you know just asking you know 
So here he says, he says, when the seed comes, if anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not receive it into an experience in their five senses. What? Then the enemy is able to come in and steal the seed. Yeah, you notice how that little progression took place. I mean, that was, boy, talk about, you know, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, he talks about the uh, heresy two-step. That was a perfect, quintessential example of the heresy two-step. The heresy two-step is is similar to line dancing. If you've never done line dancing, uh, you know, in a country and western bar that only serves sarsaparilla. But anyway, yeah, uh, um. The, the way the heresy two-step begins is is that you begin on a text, okay? And so you got to keep in mind that, uh, you know, you're standing face-to-face with your audience. And what happens is you begin by clearly demonstrating that you are standing on a biblical text. And then what you do is that you 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 do something kind of like a magic trick, you know, the, uh, like a magician would do to distract the attention of your audience. And while your audience, uh, uh, their attention is distracted away, you quickly shuffle back off of the text. And then once you're off the text, you can either move to the left or to the right, thereby giving the appearance to the dupeful audience that you are actually teaching biblical doctrine. So uh, let me back this up and uh, let's let's watch how the heresy two-step actually works in action the word understand here actually means um, an understanding that is gained through the five senses. Yeah, no, it doesn't. But that, see, that's the, see what, that's the shiny thing. So now everyone's looking at, they're, they're, distract, they're, they're distracted away from the text. And so here comes the shimmy part where he shimmies back off of the text. So here he says, he says, when the seed comes... If anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not receive it into an experience in their five senses. You see, he's already off the text now and he's off into, you know, off in bizarro world. Yeah, no, this is not what this text is saying at all. Nor did Jesus interpret it this way. Then the enemy is able to come in and steal the seed. So what is he referring to when he's talking about an understanding gain through the five senses? He's actually talking about when the word of the kingdom comes to you, when it's kept as a concept and not brought into practical human experience, then that seed becomes vulnerable to theft. Yeah, that's not what he's saying at all. And what does he say? He doesn't say it's removed from your mind. He said it's removed from your heart. Boy, too bad he didn't say it was removed from my foot. All right, now, this is fascinating to me. I, I, I picture this. We, we yeah, all- this is fascinating to me, too, because, wow, this is the, quite the impressive Bible twisting going on here. Well, let's say that somebody comes in, they bring in a powerful word on our on our uh, a real fresh revelation to us on our responsibility and the opportunity we have to care for the poor and we all go oh yeah that is so right oh god so what happens now is we've said amen to the word our heart has responded to the word so it has a place in the heart 
But now, if it doesn't get walked out in practical human experience within a certain period of time as a result of that word, then that seed... Gets- now, would that, how long is that certain period of time? Do you think it's like a week, maybe a month? I mean, you know, when the seed lands there in your heart, does the seed have like some kind of an internal timer on it, you know, so that, you know, it knows that it landed there, you know, and that, you know, and so it's quietly ticking down. You know, a Farmville analogy probably would be a good play, thing here. Um, if you've ever played Farmville, then you know that well, one of the things you do is you plant crops. And different crops have a different amount of time that they take to, you know, mature so that you can then harvest them. And, of course, if they stay in the field past a certain length of time, well, then they wither. And so maybe this is like uh, Farmville that we're talking about here. Um, uh, so apparently the seed withers after a particular amount of time. So you got to be careful when you get those special revelations in your heart. you got to pay attention to, well, how long it takes for that, that thing to, uh, you know, mature because after a particular amount of time then what'll happen is it'll wither just like in farmville shoved up to the top of the surface of the dirt and what happens the enemy comes and steals it away now here's a fascinating thing is that thought is still in my mind the concept is still here so the next time i hear somebody talking about our privilege of caring for the poor i know enough to say that's right Amen. That's exactly what the church needs to be doing. But what's happened is the power of the seed has been removed from the center of who I am so it no longer has the position to change who I am. Boy, um, yeah, yeah uh, wow. Um, don't you find it just a smidge odd that Jesus never mentioned any of this stuff in his interpretation of the parable of the sower and the seeds? You know, just something I noticed. I believe that this explains why we have so many, why it's become normal in the Western world. It's become normal to live with a high level of theory and a low level of experience. So now we're we're going after, you know, sound biblical doctrine and theology, and yeah, see, that's just terrible stuff. Yeah, because see, you just know it in your head, but you haven't walked it out in your heart. Therefore, the, well, that seed got taken away by the devil a long time ago. Because you know, when the seed originally landed, it, it went it went down to a, a deep enough depth that it could have germinated. But you know, because you didn't do anything with it, it just went bloop right back to the surface, and then down came Satan, the Satan bird. You know. And, you know, took the seed and off it flew. <sighs> but you still have it in your head, but not your heart. Yeah, that, you know, Don't you find it odd that Jesus didn't say any of this? And uh, I'm challenging his definition of tsunami here, uh, you know, because, well, I've never seen a Greek lexicon say anything of the sort. And on top of it, um, you know, Jesus didn't interpret the parable this way, and I have yet to uh, actually read a single the church father who did it either in any of their sermons. So, yeah, this seems like a very unique interpretation here, one that's so unique we should probably reject it. And the illustration I use, per, perhaps uh, to, uh, redundantly, but uh, you can go to a business school, get a degree in business, and never have been taught by anyone who ever owned a business. Because our system of learning is based on principle, concept, Things that can be repeated, but not necessarily experienced. 
you know, I, I, I got to come to the rescue here of uh, B schools. Uh, that would be business schools for those of you who've not familiar with that little shorthand for it. Um, I, I, I have a, a master's degree in business administration from Pepperdine University. I, I, I have been to business school. And uh, I could tell you this, that uh, just about all of the business schools, one of the things that they make a point of telling their students and actually doing is that they, you know, you know if, in fact, if you don't believe me, just go and look online at the advertisements and websites for some of the best business schools in the country. One of the things they always make a big to who about is the fact that they don't just teach you theory, but they give you skills that they expect you to put in practice the very next day at work. And if you don't have a job, then they do things in order to help make it so that that becomes practical knowledge that is applied, not just theoretical knowledge. For instance, you know, when I was, in fact, I can, let me give you another thing here. Um, This is just a little factoid, is that when I was doing my master's degree at Pepperdine University in business administration, uh, my classmates and I, uh, well, I'm, if uh, 98% of us all had day jobs. Uh, there was only like a couple of people in the entire program that I knew of and w- would rarely encounter people who actually didn't have a job and were doing their MBA at the same time. In fact, the program I was in, I think that was a no-no. Yeah, the the expectation was is that you would apply the, the apply it the next day at work. And uh, well, that wasn't a problem for 98% of the people that I attended school with. So kind of a low blow, don't you think? It's no saying, you know. All right, so let's reverse the illustration. We're sitting here, and uh, a profound word comes about our privilege of caring for the poor and honoring them, treating them as the treasures of our city. And if within, you know, the next four weeks, I'll just use the same period of time. So there you go, four weeks. You got four weeks to apply this word. Otherwise, well, the seed will get snatched by the devil, and be, it'd be just like having your crops wither in Farmville. Everybody in this room just looked for an opportunity to care for somebody. There's just worse off than you. You may say, well, I'm one of the poor. Now, find somebody worse. Because whatever you do, just find somebody who's worse off than you are. And you just, and you take of what you have and you start getting, well, guess what? That seed just got put out of reach. And it is now there to bring a revolution. Because you have the seed of... Where did Jesus say any of this in his interpretation of the parable of the sower? That if you put it into practice, then the seed goes deeper so that it's out of reach of the birds so that you can then start a revolution. Yeah, let me let me read Jesus' own interpretation of his own parable. And, you know, not that Jesus is like an expert or anything. It's not like he's the one who authored this parable or anything. Uh, he did. Notice the sarcasm. Um, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for the, what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for the one 
sown on good soil. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, and in another and another thirty. Hmm. Yeah, again, he's right when he says that the key word there is um is uh, tsunami, but it means to understand or to think about. And he's he's basically taken tsunami and given us a false definition of it, and as a result of his false definition, he's making false claims and and basically teaching us falsely about this. And uh, funny enough, none of what he's saying is anything that Jesus is even remotely close to what Jesus said. I mean, all of this is the way he pulled it off is by well the uh, the heresy two step. You know, he had he started off in the Word of God and then backed off of it. And when he backed off of it, he smuggled in a foreign definition of the Greek word tsunami. And uh, now we're off into pretty much bizarro world. God regarding the poor deeply embedded in you and there is no fowl of the air that can take the seed does that make sense all right that'll change your life let's go home oh man so that was uh <clears throat> that was the latest installment of the j files uh for bill johnson the heresy well it's it's out there <laughs> Now, if you would like to um, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, man, that was bad. Uh, you can email me. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We will be right back. Wow. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseboro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Throw a few more Christmas sermons in, well, because it's still the Christmas season. Y'all ever see the movie The Princess Bride? Mowage. That dweem within a dweem. Yeah, that's <laughs> going to come into play in today's, uh, well, I'm not going to play the sound bite, but the idea comes into play in today's sermon. Let's uh, cue up the sermon review music. The good, the bad, and, well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the Summit Church in Irvine, California, Pastor Scott Taylor. The name of the sermon, God's Christmas Gift to You. I mean, perfectly fine Christmas sermon name. Yeah, unfortunately, well, things kind of take a bad turn really early on. Now, you'd think with a name like God's Christmas Gift for You that we'd be talking about, well, you know, Jesus. You know, the gift of a Savior, you know, that kind of stuff. Run to you is born a Savior, the angels said, who is Christ the Lord. You know, that kind of stuff. But apparently, there's something even more important than that particular gift. And that's the gift within the gift. The dweem within the dweem. (laughs) So uh, put your thinking caps on, fuzzy bunny slippers, adult beverage if that's your thing, no problemo with that. And uh, let me kill the music here. And uh, let's dive into our Christmas sermon. God's Christmas gift to you. Here we go. Here's Scott Taylor. Welcome to the official podcast of the Summit Church. Thank you for listening to the Summit's podcast. We want to see your life go higher. I want to see my life go higher. All right. Hey, you know... The message of Christmas, the purpose of Christmas, it's so easy to summarize. Uh, we all know it. Cool. Could you do it for me? Yeah, they, I mean, those, that's the opening shot in this sermon. The, uh, the Christmas message is so easy to summarize. Well, since this is your Christmas sermon, can you summarize it for me, please, Scott? It's this, that you matter to God. Uh, what? I never heard that one on a Christmas special. 
And you matter to him so much that he sent his one and only son for you. And that's okay. That's good. That, was, <laughs> that sounds almost biblical. God, you're so important to him that he sent his one and only son for you. For me, in what sense? For what? What was Jesus doing there? Why was, um, yeah, what do you mean for me? It's the gift of Christmas. But um, look, at we, look with me at our kind of our key verse today. We're going to look at it a couple times. But, man, it just, it's, it's a great verse to just talk about Christmas and Christ and what he's done in our lives. Look at it, 2 Corinthians 9.15. Whoa, whoa, slow down there, Tex. Um, okay, 2 Corinthians 9, did he say 13? Hang on a second here. 2 Corinthians 9, oh boy, hang on. Typed it incorrectly into my Accordance program. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Okay, let's see here. Um, wow. Um, let's see what he does with this. It's 9.15. Oh, man. Yeah, this is not like any Christmas text I've ever heard anyone preach on. So hang on to your hats here. As uh, Let's listen in. In fact, let's say it together. Can you see it up there on the count of three? Let's read it out together. Really bold with a nice Christmas echo in here. Let's go for it. Ready? One, two, three. Thanks be to God for his gift that is too wonderful for words. Now- <laughs> oh, um, <clears throat> I just got to ask all of you a question. Have any of you ever had your pastor preach on this <clears throat> single sentence? That's what it is. It's just a single sentence. Um, for you know, f- to form the basis of your Christmas sermon, have you uh, y'all ever heard this one? Uh, this is a first by me. Um, by the way, what are three primary rules for sound biblical interpretation? They are ready. Context, context. Context. So, you know, in the ESV, just so you know, this text, this verse, this sentence, which is not even a complete thought, it reads, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Ta-da! That, wow, that's, that's your Christmas text? I am thoroughly underwhelmed. All right, um, let's see here. Um, mm-hmm, yeah, let's do this. Um uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, not very long. Let's, uh, why don't we read the whole chapter and see if we can figure out what's going on here from the immediate context of this passage. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, I read from the ESV, that's the English Standard Version, which I lovingly refer to as the English Sanctified Version. I read, now it is superfluous. Yeah, I love it when the tongue doesn't work. Anyway, it is now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about, to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said to as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, he would be humiliated to say nothing of you. Well, for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you had promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully also reaps bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that 
having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. For as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through, uh, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also the overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. But their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ to the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Yeah, I'm going to hazard a hermeneutical guess here. Now, I may be wrong, but I'm here's my I'm hazarding my hermeneutical guess. Are you ready? I'm going to, based upon the immediate context of this passage, assume that the gift that is referred to here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, is not referring to the Christmas gift of a Savior. You know, I think that from the immediate context that the this inexpressible gift is the financial contribution that the Corinthian church is giving to the churches of Macedonia. That's what I would say is going on here in the immediate context. Now, I, I may be wrong, but I think that's what this gift is referring to here, in which case I would I could say with, well, pretty much 99.9% confidence that uh, this is not a Christmas text. Yeah, no, it's not at all. So uh, we've got a major problem now, but let's continue. Let's see where Scott goes with this. That's it. You know, and, and that word gift, that's what we've been hearing since before Thanksgiving. That's the word you're going to hear used probably more than anything this week. How many of you are done with your Christmas shopping? How many of you still have some gifts to buy? Wow. Okay, get on it. Um, But today I want to talk to you about that gift. And, you know, we search frantically for the right gift and we hope we find it. And then we give it with anticipation that it's going to bless the one that we give it to. Of course, we want to get something cool too. But I was uh, thinking about God's Christmas gift to us, of course, is Christ. We know that. It's, it, it's, it's indescribable. It's too wonderful for words. Yeah, you know, everybody knows that Jesus, you know, our Savior, that's the gift from God. It's indescribable. It's, yeah, but who wants to talk about that? Let's talk about other things. What would be the, the other thing we'd like to talk about rather than that, Scott? But I was thinking about um, a friend of mine who in high school got a, got a gift, and it wasn't what she wanted. And she, she, I remember after Christmas break, she came and told us this story, and, and it was great. She was a good friend of mine, and, and she grew up in a pretty affluent uh, household. And so she had asked for some things, and uh, what she, she opened up uh, her Christmas gift, and in, in that gift, she found uh, a pair of gloves. That's all that was in there. And, and they had wrapped it up where it was like a box within a box within a box, and it looked huge, but she unwrapped it, and it was just a little pair of gloves. And she, she, I remember her telling us that uh, her, her heart just kind of sank, you know, and, and, and her dad and mom were kind of looking at her and they were smiling. And she's like looking at these gloves like, where are the other gifts? You know, what, what happened to the stuff I asked for? And she was convinced what she had asked for was in the box. But she opened it up and, and, and she found this gift. But 
she, she just kind of sat there for a minute, and then she thought, well, and it was kind of getting uncomfortable, and she thought, well, I guess I'll try them on. And as she tried them on, she stuck her, she stuck her finger in the glove, and she felt something there, and she pulled out the first, she pulled out the first finger, and there was a hundred bucks there. She felt again. Now she was a little more excited. As you're getting excited out there too. Isn't it amazing what a hundred dollars? And she pulled out another one. And she went through and she and every time she pulled it out, and there were there was a gift within the gift. And sure enough, five in a row. Some of you don't believe me, so I'm just gonna keep So uh, let me warn you here. Remember I told you about the dream within a dream. Anyway, this is this. He's interested in preaching about the gift that we get from God during Christmas, you know, the gift of the Savior and Jesus Christ, God in human flesh. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. He wants to talk about the gift within the gift. You see, yeah. That's what this metaphor is all about, to set up, well, him talking about something other than Jesus. Keep going here. <laughs> a gift within a gift. I say, Scott, do you always carry 500 bucks on you? No, never. Oh, there's the other one. 500 bucks in there, a gift within a gift. Now, here's another glove right here. I, I hear something. Does anybody want the other glove? Yes. You want the other glove? There you go. It's all yours. You can open it later. Open it later. Okay. A gift within a gift. That's, that's what we get in Christ. It's not just like, okay, we've got Christ, but daily he gives gifts to us. And I want to kind of break that down today and talk. Okay, what are the, well, let's find out what those gifts are. I mean, who needs a Savior? I mean, we, that, that's just the outside gift. We want the gift within the gift. Okay, so what are, the, what's, what are those gifts? Talk about some of the things that I receive. I, I, I believe that you receive, that we all received every day from Christ, the gift within the gift. Here's the first one. When I'm stressed and worried, which I've been more than I'd like to admit this year. Anybody else has been stressed and worried? This year just seems like it's one of those years. It's like, okay, let's get into 2011. And so Jesus, you don't just get a savior. No, 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 no. The gift within the gift. Jesus, the the stress reliever. Oh, wow. Well, that just sounds fantastic. You know, um, something I've noticed is that there are some people out there who don't need Jesus for this. They use Prozac. And let's make this a better year. But when there's stress and worry bearing down on our hearts, I thank God that he's given us the Prince of Peace. He's given us the gift of his peace. Look with me at a few scriptures. Uh, Psalms twenty five seventeen. My awful worries keep growing. What? Ha- okay, hang on a second. Psalm twenty five seventeen. Let's see if he's actually teaching us God's words here. Twenty five seventeen. Hang on a second here. I got to get to the right place. Uh, all right, Psalm twenty five seventeen. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Yeah, that's what it says out of context. I mean, yeah, so here we got this fantastic psalm, by the way, and he just whips out Psalm chapter 25, verse 17, uh, which is kind of a thought within a thought, if you would. Um, <clears throat> you just kind of build off of the metaphor here. Uh, so this is a thought within a thought. Why don't we find out what the thought, the major thought is, so we can understand what this thought within the thought is, because Psalm 25, 17 doesn't say Jesus gives us stress relief. 
It doesn't say that. Yeah, let me read it to you. Uh, The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. It sounds like a petition to me. It doesn't say the troubles of my heart are enlarged, but Jesus' gift within a gift is that he offers me stress relief. That's not what this text is saying. So let you know, let's add a little context here. Um, uh, you know, let me see here. I'll start at Psalm twenty-five, verse eight. Here we go. <clears throat> Good and upright is the Lord; therefore, He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble His way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. For those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. Yeah, notice here, uh, Psalm 25, verse 11 talks about the gift, not the gift within a gift, but Psalm 25, 11 actually, well, that teaches us the gospel right there in the Old Testament. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Fantastic prayer that we should all be praying. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and I am afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all of my sins. Yeah, when you put that back in context, it's not saying, oh yeah, the gift within the gift, that's, you know, stress relief. No, notice here the emphasis on the gift in the very psalm that he quoted out of context. The emphasis is not on the gift within the gift that he claims is there, because I don't know, know, this gift within a gift metaphor, I don't even think this biblically bears out, but it focuses us back on the gift, the forgiveness of sins won by Christ and him crucified on the cross. Let's continue. What happens as we get our focus off of the Savior, off of the gift, and off of Christ and onto circumstances. Yeah, why don't you focus us on the gift then? Instead of the gift within the gift. And when you and I do that, it's just like Peter. You know the story. He's walking on the water and he's looking at Jesus. But as soon as he takes his eyes off of the gift, he takes his eyes off of Christ. He looks at the circumstance. He looks at the wave. What happens? He starts to worry. He starts to stress. And what, what does that worry and stress do? It starts to drown us. It start- well, now I'm worried that I'm, not, I'm not, that I'm not focusing correctly so that I don't have to worry. Oh, this is like the worry within a worry starts to take us down and see you and I need to understand that he gives us when he, when God gives us Christ he gives us peace and we need to tap into that and we need to we need to grab onto it today uh, again looking back at this year at my marriage at some some issues with my 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 kids issues with my family and extended family issues in the church uh, health issues other issues i mean some crazy prayer requests that we've just kind of carried for people and with people this entire year. And they just have a way of, of, of stressing you out and, and getting worried. But I'm telling you, God gives us the gift within the gift. He gives us his peace. And in Proverbs 12, 25, it says, worry weighs us down. And, and that's the issue. 
The issue is that you were not, God didn't create you to have all these cares and worries piled up on your shoulders. And I'm telling you, you might think, well, it's Christmas time where, man, I'm telling you, this, this time of the year. Yeah, just got a question. Do you think our sin has anything to do with uh, the cares and worries of this life weighing down on our shoulders? Yeah, because, you know, in, in that Psalm, that Psalm 25, it talked about Christ's forgiveness of our sins. You know, just asking. Here it seems like there's even more opportunity to worry. There's more opportunity for stress. And, and, and worry, as described in Psalms 55, says that it wears us out. It's unhelpful. It's unhealthy. We talk about this around here. It's, 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 it's unwise to worry, but we do. But God gives us Jesus. See, and now I'm worried that maybe I'm worrying. And so now I'm worried about worry. <sighs> Jesus, the Prince of Peace. You know, the Bible says that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and it made the top three, peace, love, joy, and peace. And God wants... The fruit of whom? That would be the fruit of the Spirit. So who's producing the fruit, me or the Spirit? You know, just asking the logical question here. It's his peace in our hearts, guarding our hearts and our minds. Maybe you're out there today and you've been stressed out. I'm telling you, you need to get the gift within the gift. You need to receive God's peace today. Yeah, good luck finding it. You know, you got to find that gift within the gift, the dream within the dream. Today it's available. Look at Philippians 4. What a great scripture. I've tapped into this this year so many times. Instead, Who's he preaching about? Oh, this is this great, this great sentence from Philippians chapter 4, as if like the rest of the book doesn't even exist. But I, I've tapped into this passage. I have. Who's doing this again? Instead of worrying, the Bible says to pray. Let those petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. It's wonderful what happens when Christ comes in and displaces worry at the center of your life. God's wholeness comes in. God's peace comes in. I'm telling you, there's nothing like God's peace in your life. All hell can be... You know, the angels talked about peace you know, when they announced that a Savior was being born. How is it that this Christmas sermon isn't there talking about that? You just, you know. Breaking loose, you can be going through hell on earth, but if you've got the peace of God in your heart and in your mind, you know there's a confidence that things are going to be okay. Remember what Jesus spoke over the storm when he was in the boat? Another time when he spoke over the storm, he said, peace be still. I'm telling you, we need to be still and know that he is God. We need his peace in our hearts. It's the gift within the gift. You get Christ. You get- Do you find this like just to be completely confusing and like, like off topic? Why don't you just take a passage of scripture, like an entire section of scripture that, you know, actually deals with the Christmas gift? You know, take like Luke 2, you know, or the opening chapters to the book of Matthew, you know, something like that. And why don't you read you know, and do exegetical work, you know, and do an expository sermon from, you know, one of those gospel readings. You get the Prince of Peace. Here's another one. Look at it with me. Oh, last scripture here. Give your worries to the Lord and he will take care of you. Some of you need to do that today. Cast your care on him. Here's another gift within the gift that we get in Jesus Christ. When I'm afraid and when I'm scared, again, 2010, plenty of opportunities for that. You know what he does? He gives us courage. He, he, he gives us courage to move forward. You know why? The, what verses say this? The enemy wants to get you in fear to paralyze you. The enemy to paralyze me from doing what?
eating, my, drinking my Ovaltine? I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Satan wants to paralyze me. Enemy wants to get you scared so that you stop and stop doing what? Quit advancing. I'm telling you, advancing where? Jesus said, follow me. We are supposed to be going forward. We are supposed to be moving. We are supposed to be advancing for him. But the enemy. Great. Where to? Where am I going? How? Which which ways forward in this advance that Jesus wants me on? Enemy wants to stop you, to paralyze you with fear. And fear's a choice. And here's what the Bible says. Look at it with me. It's God's command to Joshua. And we should take it as, as a command to us today. Yeah. Notice what he's doing here. Verse after verse. After, these are just sentences ripped out of the Bible, completely out of context, and then strung together in some narrative about the dream within the dream. I'm sorry. The gift within the gift. And... and and you know what this all is? You better. I'm stressed out that I'm that you know that I may not may have made the right choice to have peace. Yeah. How do I know if I'm doing the right things so that I can have the gift within the gift? Sounds like there's a lot of things I've got to do to get this gift within the gift. Let me ref- let me say that again. Listen again to what I just said. There sure does seem to be a lot of things that I have to do in order to get this gift within the gift. Which then begs the question, is this really a gift at all? It's an incredibly inspiring kind of pep talk that God was giving to Israel's leader. He says, I'll be with you. Get that into your hearts today. God's saying this to you. I'll be with you. I won't ever give up on you. God says to you today, I won't leave you. I love this. He says, strength. I mean, the voice of God comes and says, strength, courage. Don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. I'm with you every step you take. How do you know God isn't just saying cheeseburger? I mean, seriously, where are you finding this stuff in the Bible? In the clear passages taught in context. Hello? Be strong, Joshua. Be very courageous. I've got your back. I'm here. I like what it says, kind of echoes the same promise in the New Testament. If God be for us, who can be against us? If you've got God with you, why not move forward? Why be scared? The creator of the universe is with you. Hmm, if God is for us, who can be against us? Maybe we should read that one in context. Hang on. What? Okay, yeah, hang on. It's Romans 8. Um, okay, here it is, 31. Found, okay, so uh, <clears throat> let me read this in its immediate context. Is is this, who? if God is for us, who can, who can be against us? Is this in the context of the gift within the gift? You know, apparently advancing and moving forward and doing whatever those verbs that he's throwing out here mean, or is this somehow in the context of the gift, not the gift within the gift, but, you know, up a level, the gift itself? Well, let's take a look. Um, uh, Romans chapter 8, the verse that we want is verse 31, so we'll read starting from verse 26. I read, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things together work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Yeah, again, I when I just my personal opinion is Romans 8:31 is in the context of the gift, not the gift within the gift. You're just saying, you know, this is how I'm how I'm reading the text. Now, if you're reading it differently, you know, just feel free to email me and let me know, but yeah, I'm not seeing that this is the gift within the gift that this is directly related to the gift. Move forward. Don't be paralyzed in fear. Some of you've been so timid. Some of us have been so scared. We've just stopped. Scared quit, of what? Timid of what? Quit advancing and we're, we're afraid to make a move. I'm here to tell you, break out of that today. The gift within the gift is he gives us courage. The Bible says in Psalms 54, 6. Courage to do what? In God, I put my trust. I will not fear. I like that. You know why? It breaks it down to it's a choice. We choose to fear. We choose fear over faith. We choose fear and circumstances over trusting God and his promises. How did you get that out of that path? Oh, man, this guy is seeing it. Maybe he's been to the Perry Noble School of Biblical Hermeneutics. Yeah. Yeah, Seeing things in the text that just ain't there. We choose the world's way over the word's way. And we shouldn't do it. I'm telling you today, break free from it. Faith or fear, you choose. And here's the thing. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Every single... Yeah, Hebrews eleven six does say that. Is that talking about the gift within the gift, or is that talking about saving faith? Read it in context. Tell me what you think. One of us has a deep desire, a burning desire in our hearts to please God, to put a smile on his face. And here's how he says you do it. Trust me. Some of you guys are sitting there and you've let your trust go. Trust him for what? You put your trust in the world and you put your trust in other things. The Bible says, don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. Don't get scared. Don't get hung up on that stuff. I'm telling you, God says this, when I give you Jesus, not only do I give you peace, but I give you courage. Courage to move forward. Because see, you kind of need peace before you are courageous. You kind of got to be at peace before you can take a step. Are you with me on this? Yeah. You know, just like you, you kind of need to actually have actually studied biblical hermeneutics and exegesis and things like that before you actually start preaching. Probably a good idea. I hope you're getting a hold of this today. Psalms 23, you know this one. Yes, though I walk through the deep, sunless valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? David said it plain and clear, simple and straightforward, because you're with me. And when he's with us, that courage comes. Why? Your rod to protect and your staff to guide, they comfort me. 
The Bible also says God's soul has no pleasure in those that shrink back. Man, let's not be those in our lives. Let's not be those. Yeah, now I'm even more worried. What if I'm a shrink backer? Whew. Yeah, I'm in trouble with God now. You're, you're worrying me with this. Uh, this uh, I'm not experiencing the gift within a gift. Do you have a gift within the gift within the gift that you can help me out here, please? In our circumstances, in our situations, all of us have problems. Would you agree with me? Four people. Okay, five of us have problems here today. The rest of you, God bless you. Pray for us. Pray for us, <laughs> brothers and sisters. No, all of us need courage to, 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 to make hard decisions, tough decisions. Things that'll, things that'll move us towards God. So I need to make tough decisions that move me toward God. Yeah, this doesn't sound like gospel. This sounds like pure law. The thing I've got to do in order to earn the gift within a gift. Maybe things that won't be popular, but things that are necessary. I'm telling you, we've got to move forward. And the Bible says, even if we go through the toughest valley of all, we can keep courageously moving step after step. Why? Because he's with us. He's there. And, and I think about that. Psalms 27, one, just a few chapters later, it says, with God on my side, I love it. I'm fearless. I'm afraid of no one and nothing. To me, that reminded me of a passage in Isaiah. Maybe you've heard it. It says that when you go through the waters, they won't overcome you. When you go through the rivers, you won't drown. Even when you go through the fire, it will not burn you. You will not be scorched. Why? Because God says, I'm with you. When you know God is with you, you're going to take a step. Oh, this, is, this sermon is driving me nuts. I mean, do you know how to read the Bible for longer than a single sentence or a sentence fragment, Scott? Peter got out of that boat. The other 11 Christians stayed in the boat. Yeah, and all of Israel walked through the Red Sea, every single one of them. So what? Tony, I wonder if if that math is the same today. Less than 10% of Christians are courageously pressing forward. Let's not be. Less than 10% of Christians are courageously pressing forward. Where on earth did you find the study that studied that particular statistic and came up with that number and percentage? I want to see the study. The other 90%. Let's be the one that gets out, gets out of our comfort zone, makes the decision we know needs to be made. Let's be courageous because the gift within the... What, what exact, which decision really needs to be made again? Yeah, I'm confused. The decision that I need to make to get the get to, you know to earn the gift within the gift, to earn the gift with it, yeah, because it's a wage, it's not a gift. The gift is peace. The gift within the gift is courage. Here's another one. The gift within the gift is hope. When I failed miserably, man, I look back this year, and there's some times I just had some failures. And it's amazing how the enemy, we know the enemy is called the accuser. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking there's a failure right here in the sermon, a failure to properly handle God's word and actually to preach it correctly. Yeah, I, I can imagine you've probably had some failures this past year. Of the brethren, he always tries to remind us of those failures, doesn't he? Let me tell you something. Your life is not going to be defined by your failures, and neither is mine. And not only this year's failures, what does the enemy do? He's bringing up stuff from 73, Right? <laughs> 
Some of you, he's bringing up stuff from 53. Yeah, I went there. Some of you weren't even born in 73. Some of you weren't even born in 83. But still, it doesn't matter. He brings all of our failures and he tries to accuse us. He tries to pull us down. And he tries to bring misery and pain and hurt into our lives. That's what the enemy does. He's here to steal, kill, and destroy. To steal your joy. He's trying to kill your dreams. Whoa, whoa, no. Satan trying to kill my dreams. Oh, gasp. What a terrible, horrible thing. Here I was worried about, you know, hell. And uh, what I should have been worried about the entire time was Satan stealing my dreams. Man, I mean, I took my eyes totally off the ball. No wonder all of my dreams got stolen. I'm telling you, he's trying to destroy your future. But thank God, the gift within the gift, he said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And part of that abundant life... Oh, here we go. John 10 out of context again. Go read that passage in context. Yeah, John, is it John 10, 10? I think that's John 10. He came to give you life and life abundantly. Read it beginning at chapter 9. Read from chapter 9 all the way through to the end of chapter 10. Do not stop at 10, 10, and you will see that Yeah, the point he's trying to make ain't the point that that passage is making. It's it's as if Jesus came so that you can have the most self-actualized and perfect suburban American lifestyle. The, 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 The greatest gift within the gift that Jesus can give you is the peace of knowing that you are a successful, risk-taking middle-class American, closing in on the uh, lower end of the upper-class American, that gift within the gift known as the abundant life. Yes, God wants you to be wealthy, healthy, wise, and, and joyful, and he'll give it to you as a gift as long as you earn it. Right. Is that we have got to live with hope. When you look at your failures, you... We've got to. Because if you don't, if you, you know, you've got to. That's law talk. You live hopeless. Hopelessness floods into your soul. I'm telling you, there's no room for hope and hopelessness together. They cannot coexist in your life. Just like faith and fear. When faith comes in, it kicks fear out of your life. When hope shows up, hopelessness has to flee. When light comes in, darkness is dispelled. Are you guys feeling this today? When... We failed miserably. Am I feeling it? No, I'm not feeling nothing here except for like, I feel like you're trying to snow everybody and you don't know what you're doing. It's okay because he gives us hope. When we feel hopeless, what happens? We lose our joy and that misery and that depression comes in. Proverbs 15, 5 says, a miserable heart means a miserable life. The enemy wants to get your heart miserable, get your life miserable, steal your joy, hurt you. So Satan is the ultimate kill joy, steal joy. Oh, yeah, he wants to steal your joy. Yeah, that's that's Satan. I mean, he knows that's your greatest treasure. Forget about your life. Uh, The greatest thing that you have that Satan wants to take away from you is your joy. and Well, your future, too. And uh, and so if you want to earn the gift within a gift, you've got to do the right things uh, so that you don't have Satan stealing your joy and your hope and your future. (sighs) 
Yeah, notice he, none of this is actually taught using passages in context from any in any coherent manner. It would are what what and what's happening? Our eyes are completely off of the gift. What's the gift? Christ incarnate, God in human flesh, come to die on the cross for your sins and through His blood propitiate the wrath of God. There you go. I love Psalms thirty four eighteen. The Lord is near to those that are discouraged. He sees those who have lost all hope. God's heart just, it's always soft, but it even softens more, I believe, when he sees. And I just love that passage where Jesus said of Judas, it would have been better for him if he'd never been born. Yeah, it just, it just warms my heart when I think about that passage. He's his son or his daughter living hopelessly. And maybe you're the type that puts a nice smile on your face, kind of like me. And the world will look at us and say, oh, everything's cool with him. Everything's fine with her. But deep down, you know, there's, there's misery, there's hurt, there's pain, there's hopelessness that is trying to pull you down once and for all. There's uselessness. There's meaninglessness. Kind of like this sermon. And I'm telling you today, the gift within the gift is that God saturates our lives and our minds and our hearts and our futures with his hope. He sees. I'm telling you, God sees. He knows. He draws near. He's ready to deliver. Jesus isn't just our savior. He's not just our healer. He's our deliverer. And he will. And what's he going to deliver us from there, Scott? He'll deliver you and me from hopelessness. Whew. Wow, that's that's quite a deal. That gift within a gift. Yeah, phew, I'm so glad that I'm going to be delivered from hopelessness. Ugh. When we fail miserably, it's okay. He picks us back up. He said, "No, when we fail miserably, Christ died for our sins." You know what? The cross seems to be missing here too. It's our feet back on the rock. And he establishes our steps. I'm telling you, your future is bright. Look with me at Zechariah 10, 7. This should cheer you up this morning. It says, they get a fresh start. God says this over you prophetically. You're getting a fresh start as if nothing had ever happened. Oh, how you'll flourish. Maybe you had a relationship disaster this year. God says, a fresh start. It's going to be like it never happened. Don't worry about it. Don't look back. Really, where does God say that if you've had a relationship disaster this past year. Don't worry about it. Hell, make it like it never happened. Really? The, what What passage of the Bible says that? Back, it's not a failure. Just press on. Flourish. God's bringing you into a season where you're going to flourish in him. I'm telling you, your future is bright. Don't live another second without hope. Don't leave here today. There's no excuse for any of us here to leave without the gift within the gift, the hope that we have in Christ. And it's not just a hope for now. It's not just a hope to break hopelessness. It's a hope that we will live with him forever. It is the hope of eternal life, but we can have his hope now in our hearts. What a great verse, Job. Man, for the last five, six, seven years, I have just grabbed onto this. I'd kind of let it go. I've pulled it back into my life, into my heart lately, just grabbed onto it with a kind of just a fierce bulldog type grip because I need this. It's carried me for years. It's going to carry me through the end of this year and into next year. And it's Job 8, 7. Where you began will seem unimportant, God says, because your future will be so successful. And who was God talking to there? You, me, or Job? Hmm. 
See, when we go extended periods of time with failure, Hannah's soccer team this year did not win a game. They tied a couple games, but they didn't win a game. What a miserable, miserable season. I got to the point, I didn't even want to go to the games. I'm a fierce competitor, some of you guys know. I mean, I will go, you, you, I will go head-to-head with you in Scrabble. I may lose, but man, I will let you know I'm not happy about it. I'm just, Mary had to get used to this. She came in and was just like, let's play a board game. (laughs) Oh, really? You want to play? You talking to me? And we'll get the game on. There's been many a night where I hate to admit it. And this is, this is in my past and I've been forgiven and set free, but there's been many, I just had to walk away from the game. I'm a, I'm a poor loser. Don't look at me so holy, some of you. Fierce competitor. But I'm telling you, I believe this verse. No matter what I've failed at, no matter what's happened in my life up to this point, where I began will seem unimportant. Why? Because God says, your future is successful. Your future is secure. Man, I believe this. I hope you do today. Here's another one. When I'm hurt and when I'm in pain, the gift within the gift is joy. Because the last thing you want to do when you're hurt is smile. The last thing you want to do when you're feeling pain is rejoice. But the Bible says that's what we're to do. The joy of the Lord, what? We know it. It's our strength. In his presence. Can you give me a reason why I should be joyful in the Lord? I'll give you a hint. It's the gift, not the gift within the gift. Oh, man, this is head-bangingly bad. I, I, I feel my blood pressure going up. Where's my puppy? Presence, there's what? Man, we hit the guitar. Let me tell you, behind the scenes today in our church, we had just all kinds of technical problems, people calling in sick, had to change everything around. But you know what we, you know what we determined to do? And I'm, I'm grateful for the men and the women here that did this. We just powered through with some joy. We kind of laughed about it. What else could we do? You What? You powered through with some joy? <sighs> Oh, this is getting nuttier. Okay, we, we did. We started 10 minutes late today, but we're going to get you out on time. It's all right. Rejoice. Yeah, just power through with some joy there, and you'll get right through the time discrepancy. But you just got to power through. And, and he gives us joy when there's stuff that happens that hurts us when there's, I'm telling you, man, we all get hurt. We all feel the pain of betrayal. Of, of, of others disappointing us, disloyalty. Maybe this year people have been gossiping about you. Maybe they've lied about you. I don't know about you, but there's so many times this year I look back and, man, my heart was right at the... Oh, I could testify to that. That breaking point. There's pain. But I'm telling you, when you receive Christ, when we have him, we have joy. We have his joy. The Bible says about Jesus that he had gladness above everyone else on the earth. He was So you better have it too or else uh, you don't earn the gift within the gift. Filled with joy. No wonder he had the strength to endure. I'm telling you, we need his joy. What? Oh, man. Huh, you know, um... American Idol is uh, going to begin a new season very shortly. And um, 
I always love the opening to the uh, season of American Idol. I don't care if Simon Cowell is going to be on American Idol or not or if, uh, Paula Abdul or whoever. I don't really care about who the judges are. You know, I there's just no way I'm going to miss the uh, opening few weeks of uh, of American Idol for this very reason. Um, I love watching those people who are the rejects, the ones who think they can sing but can't sing. I feel like I'm listening to an American Idol audition for sermonizers. And uh, this guy, I mean, if Simon Cowell were still an, an, a, you know, a judge on American Idol and this was American pastor, you know, um, Simon Cowell would say something in a snarky British accent to the effect of, um, God has not given you a gift to preach. You need to go and find another job. Yeah, this is not your calling. This is what I'm hearing from. Uh, this is ridiculous. Uh, I, it, it, to say it would be bad would be to make it sound better than what this sermon is. Zechariah 10, 6 and verse 8. I know their pain, God says, and will make them as good as new. He says, I'll do what needs to be done for them. See, when your heart's broken and you're in pain, God knows he can come in and not only is Jesus our savior and our deliverer, but guess what? He's our healer. And he'll heal us up. Psalms 147.3, God heals the brokenhearted. He's our healer. He bandages our wounds. The Bible says that tears and sorrow may last for a night, but it says joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. You go through a season where, yeah, it's tough. There's pain. There's hurt. But what's on the other side of that? Joy. Breakthrough. Darkest nights, guess what? The sun is going to rise. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. Just thinking about tomorrow clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow till there's none. Till I come to a day that's gray and lonely. I just stick out my chin and grin and say, oh, (laughs) Oh, man. Or you can sing the other, I think, uh, completely appropriate song at this point. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I got that joy. Joy is going to come. He heals, he restores, he renews our joy. That's why David said, restore to me the joy. Restore my joy. God, restore our joy today. Isaiah 35, 10, sorrow and mourning will disappear. Oh, man, I I can't even keep up with all this Bible twisting. I mean, quoting that that famous psalm, you know, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Yeah, you know, that that psalm was written in the depths of despair. I mean, David had just been nailed to the wall and his sin exposed by the prophet Nathan, you know, and, uh, you know, with regarding his murder and adultery. And uh, what does David do? He repents, gets on his face and his knees, and he writes this amazing psalm about the forgiveness of God. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Without the con- here, he's just talking about joy in in abstracto, 
Yeah, this, 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 I'm sorry, but that psalm is not talking about joy in abstracto. No, it's talking about you know the joy of salvation lost as a result of his sin being exposed, and him calling to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And the only way his the joy of his salvation is going to be restored is because of God not remembering his sin, forgiving his sin and his trespasses. Uh, uh, again, that's the gift, not the gift within the gift. Yeah, you see, here's the thing. Nowhere in the Bible do we hear this, you know, the great teachings of any of the apostles on the gift within the gift. Apparently, this gift within the gift can only be divined by basically, you know, sticking your face in a hat and finding the words between the lines and ripping a bunch of verses out of context to somehow make this theology come to life. But, I mean... Yeah, this theology, this gift within a gift ain't a gift because you have to earn it. You got to choose to, and you got to do the right things to get it. This ain't a gift. This ain't even biblical teaching. Ugh. To appear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness, sorrow and mourning, pain, gone. God says, and be filled, be filled with joy, be filled with gladness. Grab a hold of this promise today. Here's another one. When I'm de- depressed and when I'm down. He gives me strength. He is my strength. Man, receive this today. This this week, we're going to experience winter solstice. And we all know what that is. It's the darkest day of the year, right? We're coming into the darkest season. The day is the shortest and the night is the longest. Many of us experience that, those type of winter solstice moments in our, in our, our, our daily lives where we have a dark day. And I'm telling you, though, isn't it just like God? He gives us the gift within the gift. Right in the middle of the darkest time of the year, here's Christmas. And what is it that I love about Christmas? All the lights. Now, I'm going to have to come clean and be honest with you. I got lazy this year, and I did not put out my Christmas lights. Anybody else? Okay, we'll all repent. I'll meet you at the communion table. We'll take the elements together. We'll, we'll, but I just didn't do it. I had other things going on, but I love the lights. I don't like putting up the lights, but I love the lights of Christmas, don't you? Yeah. Lights everywhere. And we got a guy down the street, he just does the cheesiest job. It's so cool, but it's so cool. Just this cheesy light show, but it's awesome. Mary and I, for years, we drive up to Pasadena where they have all those homes. Have you ever been up there? And just, I, I mean, it's up the hill and it's just row after row of nothing, but I mean, it's like one neighbor trying to outdo the other. And then the next, it's just, it's, but it's beautiful. I love that about Christmas. That in the, in our, in the darkest time of the year, God just floods it with the light of Jesus. And I think there's something here for us significantly that that light is there to give us strength. Yeah, I wish you would flood this sermon with the light of Jesus. I'm just detecting darkness still. Sometimes doctors prescribe you need to go out in the sun. You've been shut in too long. Go get some sun. Get out and get some light. Your body needs to get some light. What happens when a plant has died and is, is, is withering? It needs, it needs some care and it needs some sunlight. It needs to be refreshed. It needs to be strengthened. Jesus said in John 8, he said, I am the light of the world. So if you follow me, here's the promise, the gift within the gift. This isn't a gift. This is something you earn. If you, if you, this is all law. You won't be stumbling through the darkness. Living light will flood your path. In the midst of some of your darkness right now, God says, I'm going to flood your life with living light. 
It's a light that's alive. It's a light that's charged with the presence of God. Where did you see that again in that text? I'm not seeing it. The warmth of God's love and the heat of his presence will shine in to our hearts and strengthen us. 1 Samuel twenty two twenty nine. David said, You, Lord, are my light. You dispel my darkness. This is echoed in John 2, verse 8. The darkness in our life disappears when the new light of life in Christ shines in. Jesus brings that light, and guess what happens? He kicks out all the darkness. Just like when there's worry, peace comes in. Peace comes in and kicks it out. Just when there's fatigue and pain, guess what happens? Joy comes in. Strength comes in and kicks out. When there's fear... And see, like when you're listening to the sermon, you, just when you think you can't take it anymore and you know, you're at the end of your rope, well, then the end of the sermon will show up and then you, you'll be set free. Faith comes in and kicks it out. When there's darkness, light comes in and, 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 and chases it away. Darkness disappears. And then when you get a hold of this, I believe you... You believe like Paul believed, and he had this positive confession. Look at it. Make it yours today. Philippians 4, I have the strength for all things. So in Philippians 4, Paul was engaging in positive confession. Oh, good grief. In Christ who empowers me. I like the Amplified. I am ready for anything and equal. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. Man, that's awesome. Here's our final one today. When I'm full of guilt and shame, when I've blown it, when I've done what I didn't want to do, when I've been pulled by those carnal desires, when I've just blown it. You mean sinned, when you've sinned. Uh, Please tell me about the forgiveness of sins won by Christ's death on the cross. I, I hope that's where this goes. The gift within the gift is grace. And this one's mind-blowing. The gift within the gift is grace? Well, it probably isn't. It's probably the gift itself. But, oh, please, let's handle this correctly. I'm perking up here in the hopes that maybe, maybe we'll get a true, full-blown gospel nugget. Rarely hear those nowadays. The gift within the gift. He saves us. He heals us. He delivers us. But guess what? He daily, daily releases us from guilt and shame and Okay, this is good. Condemnation. Right on. Psalms 51, 2. God, be merciful to me because you are loving. Wipe out all my wrongs. Wash away my guilt. Make me clean again. Man, I love this about God. Wow. Hey, that is a full-blown gospel nugget. That was the gospel. Did you hear it? That was the gospel. It, it, it made an appearance. I mean, seriously, when was the last time we had a gospel nugget really fly through a sermon? Wow. And it was a main point even. <laughs> There's something redeeming to this uh, sermon after all. Whew, I didn't think he had it in him. Every single morning the Bible says his mercies are new. He's so faithful. Aren't you glad we don't get what we deserve? Yes. He took our sin right on. on himself. He became sin. Right Sin's been dealt with. Right on. And we still need to release it when we blow it, but thank God. We need to what? We need to release it when we blow it? What? (sighs) We were doing so well there. God, we can enter boldly into his throne of grace. 
We, we don't have to let guilt and shame condemn us and keep us down. Man, I want to encourage you today. Look at 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins and he'll cleanse us from all the wrongs. Not some of them. Right on, right on, right on. Not most of them, all of them. If we, he will, he'll forgive us. Real quick, Psalms 103. Oh boy, it's, why does it sound like he's turning the gospel into the law? Three. God is sheer mercy and grace, not easily angered. Look at this with me. He's rich in love. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or pay us back for our wrongs. You know, most, Now, again, isn't this the gift, not the gift within the gift? Most religions make you pay back with good works so that you can get back in good standing with whatever it is they call God. You've got to work at it. You know what God yeah, said? Yeah, isn't all of the things that you told us that we had to do and had in order to have peace in the gift within the gift, it wasn't that all works? Just correct me if I'm wrong. says when you come to him with guilt and shame, he says it's done. It's finished. Fresh start, new beginning. You can't, how, how could you ever pay him back for releasing us from this? I'm telling you the gift within the gift is grace and mercy. John three seventeen. I love this. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, to point an accusing finger at you. He came to save it. He came to save us. Man, that's, that's, that's a gift within the gift. No, that's the gift itself. <laughs> Man, I want to encourage you this Christmas. Cue sappy music. Christmas. Maybe you won't get the gift that you think you should get. But the gift of Christ, you slide slide into that. You you reach into him and there's gifts within the gift. You slide with into Jesus, like you slide into second base, and then you reach into him to find the gift within the gift. What are you talking about? There's gifts that are amazing every single day. Here's our scripture again, 2 Corinthians 9.15. Would you stand with me? Thanks be to God, his gift that is too wonderful for words. And as we close, look at this with me, 2 Corinthians 9.15. God is reserved for you and I, his kids. Look at this, the priceless, the priceless gift of eternal life. The ultimate gift within the gift is that we're going to live with him forever. Amen. Let's bow and pray. God, I just lift up every person. All right, we're done. Uh, For the most part, a very frustrating sermon, but I got to give him props. We did hear something about the gospel as a main point, not as a sub point or as an afterthought or, but man, you you really had to trudge through a lot of, mm, in order to get to that. Ugh. Folks, you don't need to learn. You don't need to worry about the gift within the gift. We have the gift of a Savior in Jesus Christ. Christ and Him crucified for our sins. That's the gift. It's not the gift within the gift. And you don't have to do anything to earn it. It's not a wage. It's truly a gift. And the way this guy preached it, he turned it into a wage. <sighs> you know, just I don't. Uh. Anyway. 
Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So when was the last time we heard a gospel nugget? A full, I mean, that, that was actually a little bit more than a nugget. I mean, that 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 was a gospel point. We don't hear those very often anymore, you know. So you know, as miserable as the sermon is, you got to at least thank him for a little bit of meat in there. For thank you for a little bit of Jesus, you know. It was like you know a starving person receiving you know one scoop of porridge, you know, with a whole lot of mealworms in it. But you know, pick the mealworms out, and I'm sure the porridge tastes great, you know. And if you happen to accidentally eat a mealworm, just think of it as extra protein. So, but I mean, I'm glad we got a little bit of porridge, you know, a little bit of sustenance, you know, something that was bonafidely right in that sermon. Aside from that, the rest of it was, well, (sighs) so what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.